We're going to read from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, in a few moments' time, uh, just as we're preparing to do that. Joshua, the book of Joshua begins with the statement that Moses is dead. And I want to speak to you today about the Joshua generation. We know the Moses generation. The Moses generation had started as slaves in Egypt. And generations had been slaves in Egypt. They didn't know anything else about slavery. Their parents had been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves. Their great-grandparents had been slaves. Their great-great-great-grandparents had been slaves. They didn't know anything different to being slaves. But you know the story of Moses. He came with the ten plagues and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said yes, and then he said no. And then finally, the children of Israel, the Moses generation, were released from Egypt on the Passover when they took the blood. Every household took a lamb, slayed the lamb, put the blood on their doorposts, ate the lamb, and when the angel of judgment came, where the angel saw the blood on the house, the angel passed over. That's why it's called Passover. But to every house that did not apply the blood of the lamb, the death of the firstborn came. Not just the death of the firstborn in, of humans, but of animals, and everything took place. And then finally, the children of Israel were released. Uh, Pharaoh chased them, but they were baptized, as it were, in the water, and they crossed over dry land, and then they came into the wilderness. And God's plan was for them to come into the promised land very, very quickly. It was the promised land. God had promised it to them. It was their inheritance. It was their destiny. They hadn't been saved for the desert or the wilderness, but they'd been saved for a land running with milk and honey. But during the wilderness, they began to grumble. They didn't trust God. They weren't thankful. They kept thinking about the old days. They may have been slaves, but at least they didn't have to trust God. They just had to get up, do their work, and go to bed. And now they didn't have any water, and they thought that God had brought them out to destroy them. And then God took them to a pool. But the pool was bitter. What sort of God takes you to a bitter pool you can't drink? And God cured the pool. And then they didn't have any food. And God gave them the manna. He gave them the rock, which followed them around and gave them water. And, and every time God asked them to trust him, they didn't. Finally, they sent spies into the promised land. And the spies came back. And uh, uh, two of them had a good report. And the rest didn't. And the children of Israel said, we don't trust you. We're not going into our destiny. God finally had had enough. He'd been so patient with them, so patient with that generation that he said, you will not enter into your inheritance. As soon as he said that they weren't to enter the promised land, wicked as they were, they decided that they would. They entered into the promised land and they got a good kicking from those that were in the promised land who sent them back into the wilderness. And God said, for 40 years you will wander aimlessly in circles in the wilderness until the last one of this generation has died and been buried in the sand. Then there will be a new generation. And this new generation under Joshua, they will be ready to go into the promised land. Well, it was a long wait. It was 40 years. 
And after the death of Moses here in Joshua chapter 1, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea go toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here they are. A new generation has arisen from the old generation that were judged unworthy to enter into the promised land. And the leader of the new generation, Joshua, who had been the understudy of Moses for many, many years. Wherever Moses went, Joshua went, he learnt, he studied, and then Moses prayed for him and anointed him. But Moses was gone now, Joshua was the man. And he was going into the promised land with a whole new generation, a different generation than had come out of Egypt. Think of it for a while. It must have been quite strange during those 40 years in the wilderness while the old generation that disobeyed God began slowly to die, but the new generation who'd been given the promise that the old generation had forfeited were growing, were becoming children and young adults and newly married, they were growing. A new generation was arising in the midst of an old generation. It's interesting, isn't it? When you think about generations, when you think about the generation that is currently ruling the world, those that are at a certain age that are at the peak of their careers, those that are at a certain age that are at the peak of their political powers, the peak of their academic roles, the professors, the peak of their medical roles, the doctors, those that are right now at the peak of their generation who are calling the shots in society, calling the shots in Europe. There they are. It's their time. It's that generation. And the generation before them is petering out. They are on their retirement. Uh, they're on their fishing boats. They're looking after their grandchildren. Uh, not all of them, of course. I speak generally speaking. And slowly, they're beginning to die out. 
My parents are at the age where they're visiting more and more funerals because they're at the age where their friends are at the age where it's time for them to die. It's a strange thing, visiting this funeral, this person's gone. That, it's like they're dropping like flies. I said, Mum, not another funeral that you're going to. That, that's been so many in the last few months. She says, I know, they're all going. The old guard is disappearing. All those that you knew when you were a young boy in, in the practice. It's our age, Bruce. The generation is passing away. We should think about these things because God works through generations. And every generation has a responsibility to find out what God wants to do through them. They have a responsibility to learn what God has done in the generations before them. But they also have a, a, a primary responsibility to say, what does God want, not just as me as an individual, but what is God calling to us as a generation? What is God saying to the arising generation of Britain, the arising generation of Europe? What is God saying to them who are Christians? And there must have been a little bit of friction. You know, often people talk about how when people come into their teenage years... Sometimes there can be a little bit of friction between teenager and mom and dad. Why? Because the teenager's no longer just a child that does whatever their parents do, but they're discovering, beginning to discover themselves as adults. They're growing in their education. They're growing in their, their physical maturity. They're growing in their mental maturity. They're thinking in different ways. They're broadening their horizons. And sometimes the parents aren't ready for their, for their kids, their, their, their little child and their little daughter. Their little son is now becoming an adult. And sometimes parents Parents don't know how to cope with that transition. And uh, the teenagers don't like being treated like kids anymore, but they're not quite yet at the height of adult responsibility. It's a difficult stage. It's an interesting stage. It doesn't always have to be difficult. You just have to know the times and the seasons of your particular family unit. Well, remember, well, think about the generation that was arising, the Joshua generation, in the midst of the Moses generation, who had failed miserably. Even Moses, the great man of God, who knew God as a friend, even he had forfeited the right to enter into the promised land. He would perish among with the generation that he had brought out of Egypt. What was it like becoming a teenager when mom and dad had refused to go into the promised land? When mom and dad had refused to trust God, had grumbled against God, had done the exact opposite to what God had wanted them to do. What was it like as you grew up with those parents circling around a wasteland experience every year or so, seeing the same trees, the same rocks, and then going round again, and then going, here we are, another year, that's 39 now out of 40, same rock, same tree, another year later, 38, same rock, same tree, basically speaking, the same experience of wilderness, the going round in circles that sometimes people can feel like they're in in their own lives. And this was your parents' fault. Yet something is upon you and you are going to do what your parents did not do. 
You are going to better your parents. You are going to surpass your parents in your spiritual dealings with the Lord. With the Lord. Your parents are backslidden. Your parents are old-fashioned. Old your parents aren't going to inherit. And you are going to arise at the right moment. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know, did Joshua take the youth meetings? Did he in some way say, look, you youngsters that are, are, are coming of age, you're not going to have church service with the old ones because they tend to moan about what song is chosen and what scripture is chosen and they moan about the tea and biscuits at the end and they don't like this preacher and they don't like that preacher because that's their generation. So I'm going to start a youth meeting, a new generation meeting and I'm going to get like-minded people together and I'm going to train you and I'm going to teach you what I've learned from Moses, and I'm going to tell you how it's going to be when we enter in together, and I'm going to prepare you for the day when you cross over the River Jordan and we begin to take the promises of God seriously and begin to manifest them. What was it like in the houses when the children asked their parents about the Lord and the great miracles and questioned them about their failure and questioned them about their unbelief and questioned them about that disobedience. Youngsters coming up and saying, could you describe that terrible, horrendous party that you had while Jesus was up, sorry, while Moses was up on the mountain? Didn't you make some sort of golden calf? What were you doing with one another during that period? Mum and dad start to blush because they remember how they had spent their younger days during that day when Moses on the mountain. They were involved in all manner an all terrible sin, now their children are growing up with destiny written over them and they're asking about it and they don't want to talk about it because they're embarrassed. But those young ones know. They're honouring their parents. That was part of the law that had been freshly given to the generation. And I'm sure those parents would use that very often, a bit like a stick. Honour your father and mother. Why? You didn't honour God. We'd be in the promised land eating milk and honey if you had honoured God, mum and dad. But instead, it's this manna again. Manna burgers, manna omelette, manna steaks. And then quail, so much quail, uh, we can't take it anymore. And water, we should be drinking milk. We should be having honey. If only you had obeyed. All right, well, we'll honour you, but we don't honour your history. We need to separate ourselves from the history. There's something that we need to learn here because we need to honour what God has done in those that came before us. But we also need to be prepared to separate ourselves from some of the things we were brought up in church circles, separate ourselves in order to achieve what the former generation never achieved. God plans the church and the kingdom to grow and grow and grow in the earth. That's his plan. He wants to advance. He wants to grow. He wants to take things to new levels of glory. And so in order for you to achieve your destiny, you have to learn from the past, but you also have to learn what's wrong in the past and separate yourself for a new 
experience that you've never had before, to go into new territory, to do things that you hadn't seen be done by your parents, to pray prayers your parents didn't pray, your spiritual prayers, to do church in a way perhaps that hasn't been done, uh, to go back to, to find out what God wants for you. Genesis, uh, Moses' generation was known for its unbelief, known for its complaining, known for its slave mentality, known for its fearfulness, known for just wanting to have an easy life and never believe God to do anything. And that generation deteriorated. But in Joshua chapter 1, we have a blueprint for the new generation. It's like God is saying, Joshua, now's the time. Every one of those old generations, they're in the dust now. The youngsters have grown up, they're in vigor, they're ready, and they're going to go into the promised land. The Canaanites are going to be judged. I've spent hundreds of years watching what those Canaanites have done to one another, to people. And, and I've been patient with them and patient with them and patient with them. But the fullness of the Canaanite sin has come to a place where I cannot ignore it anymore. And I'm going to judge them. I'm not giving you the promised land because you're holy. I'm giving you the promised land because they're so unholy. So remember that. It's the Lord your God that will give you victory in the promised land. And so in this passage, we see a blueprint that every new generation that's arising in Christianity should look at and apply to their lives so that they are ready when it's their turn to cross over the River Jordan. What are some of these blueprints? Well, one of the main ones here is the command to be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. What we need in Europe today is strong, courageous Christians who, are div who divorce themselves from generations in the past that generally speaking have been weak and cowardly. This is why we've had such a demise of Christianity in Europe in the last hundred years or so, with massive notable exceptions. But the demise in Europe, why? Because we have had weak and cowardly Christians. They don't know the word of God. They don't know the authority of scriptures. They have no answers to the questions that atheists bring them. In fact, they are more contaminated than the, of the thinking of the world than they are of the, of the Word of God. They're, they're not strong in faith. They're not strong in prayer. They're not strong in pursuit of the Lord. They're not strong in the Word. They're not strong in anything of the spiritual things. They're weak in all the, uh, all the, all the important things and they're strong in all the wrong things. And they've spent their time... Uh, enjoying the heritage of Europe that was built by Christian men and Christian women. Well, the heritage of former Christian generations has almost been spent by their spoiled kids. This is what can happen, you know. I've known families, I know people, and I know men and women who have spent 
their lives building up an inheritance, building up a business, putting their life in the work to provide for their kids. And, and they've not only just provided, but they've become rich. They, they, they know what, what a hard day's work is, and they've prospered because of it. But then the children arise who've never done a hard day's work in their life. And what they think, I've seen this, not always, but I've seen this. I've seen this happen. And the children, they don't want to be educated. Why? Well, they've got all the money they need. And then they live, they live a squalid life, a life of pleasure and ease. And by the end of their lives, they've spent what their parents have done and they've got nothing to pass on to their grandchildren. I've witnessed it. I've seen it. Maybe you have. Well, this is a picture of spiritual inheritance and what we can pass down to those that, that are on us. Instead of being a Moses generation, we want to be a generation that not only becomes a Joshua generation in our time, but we are looking out for a new Joshua generation, discipling them, telling them the things that we've learnt, warning them and sharing the mistakes that we've learnt, preparing them so that they can go farther than we have. This is God's plan for Europe. It's time to reverse the, the generational degradation of Europe. It's time for Joshua generations to arise, to take back every nation in, Jesus, in Europe for Jesus by the power of the gospel and the power of love and service. Strong, courageous, separating ourselves from the failure of the past while recognizing the wisdom that we can learn from the past. Next, the Joshua generation is forward moving, not backward looking. It looks to the back, it remembers what God has done in his mighty power in former generations, but it is a forward movement. It's not holding on to the past like that's all we've got. We have churches in Great Britain that are trapped in a time warp. We have churches in Europe, they're trapped in a time warp. You walk out of a modern street in a European city and you walk into a Christian church and you think that you've just entered into Doctor Who's TARDIS and you've been translated back to 1920. The carpets haven't been changed, nothing's changed. The songs are the same, nothing's changed. It was powerful in the 1920s, but it's unfit for the Joshua generation. Unfit for what God is doing. We take out treasures of the past, old and new, but we move forward. Every step you take, this is what he says, every step you take, I will give you every place, verse 3, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised. You can't stay still with God's promises. God's promises to you personally and to us corporately as a church of Europe, these are promises of movement. Abraham is the father of faith. He was given a promise that he would have a son, Isaac, a miracle son by Sarah. It was a promise and he, he learned to live by the promise. He made his mistakes. But his promise was linked to a journey of movement. He moved forward in his spiritual life. He learned mistakes, moved forward. He moved forward in his journey to the promised land. He moved forward in his relationship with God till he got to the place where he had reached the end 
of the promise, the end of the journey, when he was prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac, knowing that God would have to raise him from the dead if he died. And at that moment, God said, that's it. That's it. You've accomplished the promise in your life. Your journey is finished. You've entered into your triumph, your rest. You've done it. God wants to say this over every generation. Now, when I'm speaking about generations, I'm also speaking about spiritual generations. Don't think that if you're, you're over 50 or over 60, oh, well, this isn't me. He must only be referring to the young Swedish people that are here today, not to the older ones that are here today. Not at all. It is true. You're only as young as you spiritually feel. And, and also, it is true to say, all right, there's some oldies clapping that today. Not only are you only as young as you spiritually feel, but if you're walking with the Lord, though your outward body might age, your inner man is being renewed, is getting more powerful, more strengthened, closer to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. You can get younger on the inside as you grow older on the outside. So when we're talking about a Joshua generation, it's open to all who believe. It's open to all who, are, who will move forward, taking that step. We're going to have to take steps that we've not taken. We're going to have to go into places and arenas that we've not done before. We're going to have to re-pioneer areas that have been lost to the enemy, taking new ground. We're not staying where we are, holding on to the resources that are wearing out from past generations, but we're going to produce new resources. We're going to win new people that will bring their resources into the kingdom of God. All the resources we need for European harvest are found in the very harvest. Churches scrambling for money. Uh, teachers and preachers scrambling for crowds. Will you mobilize your crowd? Will you? Mo I need your people. I All the people that we need are out there in the ocean of humanity. The apostles are there. The prophets are there. The pastors are there. Uh, the evangelists are there. They're all out there waiting to be brought into the kingdom of God as part of our inheritance. Also, in this blueprint, there was affirmation and security. I will not leave you or forsake you. In verse 5, blessed assurance. God wants us to be assured. He wants us, number one, to be assured that we're going to heaven. He wants that done and dusted once and forever. He doesn't want his children to be wondering, am I saved? Am I saved tomorrow? What if, I, what if I make a mistake next week? What if I make a mistake next year? If I was worried that a mistake would cost me my salvation, I'd give up right now. I might as well give up right now. But thank God, it's not my mistakes or my activities that get me saved, all the work was done on Calvary for my salvation. Nothing I can do to add to it. Nothing I can do to take away from it. I simply receive it with gratitude. Assurance of salvation. But also assurance that God has called us to do something. That though there are giants in the land, how many know there are huge giants in Europe? Giants and powers and doctrines and philosophies and false teachings 
and, and all these things operating behind the scenes, encapsulating European people, taking them away from the things of God. Well, our prayer is that God is judging the very powers of Europe right now and making space for the gospel again to retake ground and to have assurance and security that if you go God's way, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, it's not. There'll be many trials and tribulations. But let me tell you something. If you go God's way, he will be with you. He will assure you. And sooner or later, you'll experience conquering victory. The next principle. The next principle is this. They were defined by the book of the law. They were defined by the word of the Lord. Don't turn from the law of Moses to the right or to the left that you might have good success. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it on it day and night. That was the only portion of scripture that they had. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. They had everything from Genesis right through. They had the uh, example of Abraham to encourage them, the example of Joseph, uh, the ex all these wonderful things they had the example of, not just the Ten Commandments. This wasn't legalistic. And he said, go back to that book and learn how God has worked in former generations. Learn from the book the mistakes of your forefathers. Learn from the book the triumphs of your forefathers and take them as an example in your relationship with God and you will be successful. How many of you know success lies within this book? Success lies within this book. I'm not talking about worldly success. I'm talking about kingdom success. So they read the word. They studied the word. They applied the word. They lived the word. They preached the word. They prayed the word. They were a word people. It was the word that conquered the promised land, not swords. It was faith that conquered the promised land. They were a people defined by the word. And then he said to them, and on this I finish, he said... You will be prosperous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you are. He understood there'd be battles, he understood there'd be difficulties, but he said he was with them. When we look at the world today, and specifically Britain and Europe, sometimes you can be dismayed when you see what's happening out there. How long, O oh Lord, where other nations are being filled with the Holy Spirit, literally nations being filled with the Holy Spirit, millions and millions of people coming to the Lord. There's never been more souls won for the Lord. There's the greatest move of the Holy Spirit the church has ever known is happening in many, many parts of the world, but not Europe, not Britain. But God has placed us here for a purpose. And the purpose is not defeat. The purpose is to play our part in turning the tide. Whatever gifting's been given to you, whatever resources have been given to you, whatever educational skills have been given to you, whatever business skills, media skills, music skills, all these things have been given to you that you might use them to help us turn Europe back to God and to make it a promised land as it has been in the past. 
Let's pray together. Let's respond to what God is saying to you tonight. The first thing I want to ask in this congregation today, I want to make sure, is before you can start entering promised land, before you can start seeing God using you, you have to be on right terms with God. Not anybody can simply assume that God is on their side. In fact, all of us have sinned and fallen. All of us have rebelled against God. None of us have reached the righteous standard that God sets for fellowship and acceptance by him. All of us have gone astray each our own way. No one is righteous. No, not one. This beautiful world that was perfect when God created it. We, humanity, have fallen and taken this world with us. And now we're plagued by sin and suffering, destruction and death. But God didn't leave us in this broken world, but he sent the best thing that he could send. He sent his own son from heaven to become one of us. God made man. He lived among us. He modeled a better way of life among us. He chose his disciples and then on the cross, he died for your sin and my sin. He paid the price that we otherwise would have to pay ourselves when we died in our sins. And his blood was shed and the wrath of God, the judgment of God that is the rightful judgment on a sinful humanity, you and I, was placed upon Jesus. And Jesus took every sin that's ever been committed, ever will be committed upon himself. And those that trust in Jesus, their sins will be forgiven them. There's some people here today and you need to... Uh, give what I believe is a big yes to Jesus. A big yes. You're going to say a big yes to Jesus today. You say, well, what's a big yes? Well, a big yes is a big heart-filled yes to Jesus. You're saying, yes, I want forgiveness. Yes, I believe you died and rose again for me. Yes, with your help, I turn from a life without you to a life with you. A big yes to Jesus' offer of forgiveness of sins, not just for today, but forever. That you might know that when your time comes, sooner or later, to face death, you will not go to death with your sins, but Jesus will have already cleansed you and you will go to heaven because of his cross. Most important yes, that's why it's the biggest yes that you can give. With every head bowed now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say a big yes to Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. If that's you with every head bowed, I just want you to lift your hand to God right now as a signifying symbol that tonight you're saying a big yes to God. And I guarantee by the word of God that if you mean that in your heart, you'll walk out free from your sins and ready to join the Joshua generation. If that's you in this building, just lift your hand right now to the Lord. He sees it, thank you. He sees it, he sees your hands. Just right where you are. He sees it upstairs in the balcony. Lift your hands. Hands are being lifted. Sins are being forgiven. And God is going to bless you. God is going to be with you. Is anybody else? A big yes to Jesus. Yes. 
Thank you. You can put your hands down. In a few moments, we will give you a pack with some literature in. If you put your hand up from Sweden, we'll, we'll let you sort yourselves out. We'll give you a gift, but we'll let you deal with whatever you need to do. I want to ask a question now. Those of you that didn't say a big yes, maybe you're not quite there. Maybe you thought, well, to be honest with you, Bruce, I wasn't expecting the sort of firepower that was going to come out of the pulpit tonight. I'm not used to it, and the music was very loud, and this is all very strange to me, and I'm not sure I'm not quite there to give a big yes as others have. All right. Would you give yourself or God a little yes in your heart tonight? I won't ask you to put your hand up. But are you ready to say a little yes to yourself or to God? You say, well, what is a little yes that I should say? A little yes is simply to say, I'm not sure about a big yes yet, but I make a decision to find out more about Christianity, about Jesus' claims. I'll go away and this little yes to myself or to God is saying, I'll find out more, I'll seek more, I'll look for more. If that's you in this place today or watching, just say it in your heart right now. Say, I say a little yes. I will find out more. And finally, finally, there may be some who would just say, oh, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I want this. I, I really don't know whether I'm happy, sad, angry. I really don't know. I just don't know. May I ask you in your heart, would you be prepared to say what we call a healthy maybe? You say, a healthy maybe, what's that? A healthy maybe is simply this. That although you don't know what you think or you may not like what you've heard, but you'll go away and you'll remain open-minded. You won't shut things out because you didn't like the style or the substance. But you'll leave today and you'll say, I'll say a healthy maybe. I'll stay at least open to these things. If that's you, I won't ask you to put your hands up, but right where you are, in your heart right now, just say, yeah. I say a healthy maybe to myself. I will remain open. I won't close to Christianity. Lord, we thank you for this. What we're going to do now is we're going to move into a time of worship. We're going to pray for people as well. Whatever needs you have here tonight, whatever prayer request you have, we'll have a ministry team here at the front as we're worshipping, and we'd love to pray for you and with you. If there's a sickness you're struggling with, we can pray for you and believe God. He is a healer and who knows what he might do tonight. He might touch your lives. Can I have my other notebook? My other notebook. Because of it. Thank you. We're going to pray for you. Maybe you've got a bit of business to do with the Lord. Now's the time where you can do it. But here's a few leadings, I believe, as well as praying for whatever you want. I believe that perhaps there may be some here today who are confused because you've got decisions to make in the coming summer, autumn. You're at crossroads. There's different directions that you can choose, different paths that you could choose, but you don't know which way to go. You don't know where to go. You don't know which to choose. You're at a crossroads. There's paths. Well, I have a leading that we should pray for you and that God would show you which way to go. 
Sometimes he can be very directive. Sometimes we just pray for you and you just make the best decision that you can, trusting God and he'll order your steps. So if you're here today and you've got decisions to make and you just don't know which decisions to, to make, what places to go, where to study, what job to take, what career to pursue, these types of things, I believe that God has a special thing for you today and we want to pray for you at the front. Also have a leading to pray for those that suffer from any type of skin irritation. As I was praying, I felt that was important. You suffer from any type of skin irritation We'd like to pray for you. We believe that perhaps the Lord is working in that area. And then finally, I just had this impression of a word, paper chase. Paper chase. That someone has been chasing papers. I don't know what that means. Is that legal documents? Is that applications? Is that business? It's just paper after paper after paper. You're chasing or you're filling in. It could, it could be, I don't know, it, it, it could be application papers. I don't know. It's just not more paper, not more paper, not more paper, not more paper. I don't know what it is, but if this is the Holy Spirit, it'll mean something to you. We'd like to pray for you that the paper chase ends, the paper trail ends, and that you get to the place where this whole process is meant to take you. Amen?